And as we were preparing for the service this week, I watched dozens and dozens of videos looking for the few that we're going to watch in this service. And I, I found one that made me laugh out loud. It was two guys who were friends decorating a Christmas tree. And the one guy saying, you know, I love Christmas, the food, the festivity, the, the decorations, the smells. And the other guy said, yeah, but you know, it's really most about Jesus and him going to the cross and dying for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. And the other guy said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that baby Jesus and cross Jesus are the same guy? <laughs> and I had to laugh, but you know what? It's so easy for us to forget that. And I wonder often when I walk around and I look at the way we celebrate Christmas in our society and culture, I wonder how many people actually realize that it's the same Jesus who is in the manger who is on the cross 33 years later. So as we take a little bit of time to reflect on who Jesus is and what we're really celebrating at Christmas, I thought a good place to start would be with revisiting the question, what is he doing here? We're all familiar with the artwork, the main characters in the Christmas story, the famous imagery of Jesus in the manger surrounded by Mary and Joseph and animals and shepherds and wise men who didn't really show up till two years later. But what is Jesus doing here on the earth at all. Why is he here? That is without a doubt the single most important question that the Christmas story poses. And if you're celebrating Christmas, and I know you are, the answer to that question is better than any gift you will ever receive or any memory that you will ever make. What is Jesus doing here? Well, after Christmas, we're going to very quickly move in towards our culture's annual celebration of delusion, as I like to call it. Allow me to elaborate. As adults, we, we fairly quickly realize that we can't actually be anything we want to be. Despite what we're told as children, despite our commitment and seriousness, none of us has actually grown up to become Batman. And yet every new year, a huge number of people will make New Year's resolutions, believing for some reason that we can do anything if we put our minds to it. Despite years of evidence to the contrary, this will be the year that I finally start eating right. Hop on board the KO bus, drop 40 pounds, get out of debt, learn how to paint, and I'm almost immediately discovered as an artistic genius. Some of those things may actually happen. Some people will accomplish them, but most of the time, most people don't and won't. Most of the time, we know what we would need to do to accomplish those resolutions. We know how to get the results we want. The how is not the mystery. The problem is that most of the time, we simply can't bring ourselves to do what we actually know that we should do. Is the how of losing weight a mystery that we're still trying to crack? We all know that you simply need to exercise on a near daily basis and stop eating anything that has flavor. It's a very, very simple equation. The how is not a mystery. The more miserable you are, probably the more weight you're going to lose. The problem is that most of us end up deciding that heaven sounds pretty great and it wouldn't be the end of the world if we got there a few years sooner. The problem is that we simply don't do what we know we should do. And this is the exact problem with trying to be good. 
to be part of God's family, to, to make it to heaven, to meet the standard of the only God, the only one who's ever going to really judge any of us, to meet his standards, to be his friend rather than his enemy, all we have to do is be perfectly good. And the great news is we even know from our conscience what it would take to be perfectly good. All we have to do is do the things we know are right and not do the things that we know are wrong. Very simple, very simple. But how many of you know that simple and easy are not the same thing? Anybody who's ever assembled a piece of Ikea furniture, you know that's true. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans 7. I'll read to you from the NLT. The Apostle Paul says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. In other words, Paul is saying, The problem isn't with the standard. The problem isn't with what I'm supposed to do. That stuff is good. I know I'm not supposed to murder, steal, kill, lie. That stuff is good. The commandments are not the problem. The commandments are good and perfect. He goes on, he says, The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And haven't we all felt that way before, finding ourselves doing what we should not be doing and unable to do what we know we should do, what we really want to do, what we know will bring good things into our lives. He says, but if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. So Paul points out the problem. He says, I know I want to do what is right. I even know what is right. I know what I should do but there's this sin in me that seems to always cause me to do the opposite of what I know I should do. Then he says, I have discovered this principle of life that when what I want to do is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. That's a big question, wouldn't you agree? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I know what I should do. I know what I need to do to meet God's standard. I know what I need to do to get to heaven, to be right with God. I just can't bring myself to do it. It's like wanting to build a house and having the perfect plan in hand, knowing all the steps along the way, having broken down the whole process into a task list in the perfect order, but when the day comes to build the house, you get there and find out that your construction crew are cats. Literal cats. That house is not going to get built. It doesn't matter that you have a plan. It doesn't matter that you know how to build the house. It doesn't matter that you know all the steps. Your construction crew are cats. The house is not going to get built. That's what it's like trying to be truly good while you're living in a body that is programmed to want to do evil things. WWJD, what would Jesus do it's not knowing what Jesus would do that's really the problem. 
It's doing what Jesus would do that's the problem. We pretty much all agree that the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus himself describes the best way to live. Even people who don't believe in God have to acknowledge he is describing a high standard of living. This is an incredible way to live. This is an incredible moral teaching. But are you going to actually live that out? Are you never gonna look at a woman the wrong way again, men? Really? Are you sure? Have you thrown out your TV yet? Do you still have eyes? You got a problem then. It's not knowing what we should do that's the problem. The problem is that none of us consistently does what we know we should do. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, people tried to be good enough for God and inevitably failed. In fact, the Old Testament, the majority of the Bible, is largely a document detailing man's repeated failed attempts to be good enough to meet God's standards. The case study is finished. The experiment had collected enough evidence. The point had been well made. We cannot bring ourselves to be truly good. And that, more than anything else, is what Jesus is doing in the manger. That's why he's there. He's coming to rescue us from our hopeless situation. Well, let me tell you what Paul wrote next in Romans 7. After writing, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul writes this, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And we all know that to be true. We can't live the life the way that we know we should. And that's why Jesus came to the earth as a baby all those years ago. Jesus didn't come to the earth to pop in for a visit for a few decades, to just check out the scene. Jesus came to the earth because we cannot do what we know we should do. If we could be perfectly good, Jesus would have stayed in heaven. He didn't stay in heaven because we couldn't be good enough. He came. He came, and he came in our place. He came and lived a perfect life. He did all the good that we know we should do, but don't. He lived a perfect life, never sinning even once. He was righteous and holy in our place, and then Jesus became sin in our place. Because all of the sin, all of the sin that we've done, all of the sin that we will do, still needed to be dealt with. It needed to be judged. It needed to be paid for. God is perfectly just and he must have justice. So who could have thought that Jesus would be the one who would take our place on the cross, receiving the punishment that should have gone to us so that we can stand before God knowing that all of our sin has been paid for. Jesus became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. And that was his incredible free gift to us. And once you've received that free gift, that gift of forgiveness and salvation, you will know a joy and a peace that nothing can take away. Man's greatest need was God's greatest deed. And our greatest need was and is forgiveness. Jesus came to the earth to be who we could not be and do what we could not do. This is what the Bible tells us about the Christmas story. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. 
Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us. And when he ascended back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit so that he could still be Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. The cross proves that God is for us. And best of all, God is in us. The Bible calls that truth the hope of glory. It's not merely a present, it's his very presence. Listen to me. I'll wrap up by saying this. Almost 2,000 years ago, long before you were born, the Bible says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The God who's always been, the God who will forever be, the God who knew you before the foundations of the world were laid, do you realize that God has loved you forever? He has loved you forever. There has never been a moment when he hasn't known of you and loved you and had a plan to love you for eternity. He has loved you forever. And for that reason, almost 2,000 years ago, his father on earth adopted Joseph would wrap the body of baby Jesus to shield him from the cold of the night. And 33 years later, another Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, would wrap the body of Jesus to prepare him for burial. But as surely as he came from heaven, he would return to heaven because he's alive as the king of kings this morning. He became human in your place. He lived a human life in your place. And he died on the cross and was judged for sin in your place. And for that reason, we put him in our place on the throne of our lives. No longer saying that spot's for me, but saying, God, that's where you belong. You belong as the king of my life. You took my place on the cross. You lived the life that I couldn't live. You took my place in death and suffering. And now I'm asking you to take my place as the king of my life. That's what we remember at Christmas. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, to die in our place. Thank you that you loved us that much. Thank you that you lived the life we couldn't live. You were the person we couldn't be. You took our place on the cross. You took our sin and gave us your righteousness. And then you didn't just leave, but you left us with your very presence and you are in us. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. You've never left us. You've never forsaken us. We love you for that. We're so thankful. And every single one of us can say of a truth this morning that we are blessed beyond measure, beyond comparison, because we have you. And we love you, Lord. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. 
If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.